You're listening to TWN Champions, episode number 10. Champions, arise! Champions Countdown Podcast, where we summon heroes from across space and time to populate our intergalactic museum, or something like that. This is episode number 10. I'm Rebecca, and with me is an insectoid creature, part of a collective whose hive consciousness is so dense with memories that your human mind cannot comprehend, we are Will! We have all the channels on our planet. I do. I just wanted to give you a chance to make bug sounds. <laughs> I'm always thinking about bugs. There have been several times since our bug episode that I learned new bug facts that I want to share or had new bug thoughts. <laughs> if you're part of a, a insectoid collective, you probably have bug thoughts all the time. We were talking the other day about what makes a bug gross, and I think I decided that as if they're big enough to have meat or that we know they have meat for some reason. I can usually deal with it unless I think they have like guts and, and organs and stuff inside that I can imagine. That does get pretty gross. Yeah. I mean, yeah, when you're just dealing with some, some chitin, you know, some... Yeah, but if you peel it back, if I know there's some stew in there, that's yeah. what I don't Oh, like. yeah, you don't want that. <laughs> unless you're hungry, yeah. and then it's good eating. <laughs> so do you have any, any, any bug news or gossip? Actually, or alien news or gossip, because that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about aliens. Well, well, I mean, I don't know if this is good conversation or not, but you know how in Close Encounters of the Third Kind where Richard Drivers is making the mashed potato mountain? Yeah, that's that's you. Well, I've been doing that, but except it's Fleetwood Mac, I think. I was going to ask you in my small talk notes about Fleetwood Mac. And I I don't know why we both settled on that as the thing that is related to aliens. I've just been really thinking about them. I've just been... All the time, when, you know, when your brain's just coasting. Uh, You're just thinking about Fleetwood Yeah, somebody Mac. was asking me some questions about them, and I love them anyway. And then I just, yesterday I spent hours and hours working on that uh, Lindsey Buckingham song, Big Love. I just I just like it. I like them a lot. I can confirm. I think their spaceship was going to come get me. So that'd probably be Boston or Journey that has the spaceship, right? Fleetwood Mac wouldn't have that. But you know, and I want you to look at my paper. <laughs> I have the question printed here. Is Lindsey Buckingham an alien? Oh. We are so in tune, and that is so that is stupid. really funny. It's ridiculous. His, you know, each, each of his little chest hairs are antennae. They communicate back. I believe that is how... Yeah, that's why he has to have his shirt collar yeah. open. And he's and that's why he's always spending time with, like, Stevie Nicks, because she is a fascinating, strange human that... <laughs> I was going to say, she's not an alien, but she could convince you she's yeah. one. And then they talk to Christine McVeigh, like, she seems well-grounded. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how we both arrived here, but we did, and I'm just not going to question it. So uh, we've given us a couple of little hints here, but what are we talking about today? Well, as you explicitly stated, we are talking about our personal favorite takes on the alien archetype, which is a pretty big one. I have four picks. Rebecca has four. It's a top eight. All right, so let's uh, let's let's just get right into it. Like you said, this is a big one. Yeah. But for the purposes of our list, what is an alien? I think when we're talking about an alien, we're usually talking about an intelligent being that does not live on Earth or was not born on Earth. Okay. Uh, you know, technically, an alien doesn't have to be intelligent. It could be bacteria or something. But I think that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a space alien. I mean, right? Like we we could theoretically have a bacterium on our countdown but i think traditionally bacteria don't have that much personality yeah that's right unless it was like a macroscopic bacteria which would be a great alien we we don't have that do no we? but i want there to be i'm just thinking of aliens just write a story of- about it then and then you could put yourself on the countdown i think the idea of a space alien is fairly recent from what i could find or at least it's 
current within the last 2,000 years, which is... I, I do love that that's your definition well, of current. I was going to say, it's it's old, but in the scheme of things, like dinosaur calendars is fairly recent. Like, <laughs> right. Like, uh, the earliest mention I could find was from 200 AD. I mean, before then, people... Could we're thinking about <laughs> gods and spirits, but they are did you, not look at the moon and be like, these, these folks, these folks up there. Yes, are you talking about the second century writer of satires, Lucian? I am talking about him. <laughs> That's so funny. We really no, should coordinate on these, but it's kind of funny not to. No, it's funny. Tell us, okay, so tell us about cosmic pluralism in the 200s, the thought that there are. There's a heliocentric world out there, and there are uh, there could be other beings there. So th this does date back a while. So tell us about Lucian. Well, it was funny because in most stories about aliens, they're usually some sort of twist on something we're already familiar with. In his novel called True Story, he talks about a journey to the moon and the life they find there, like three-headed vultures and humans sweating milk and fleas the size of elephants and stuff like that. Ew, now that's a gross bug. Yes, it is. We do not Which want is, to see that. I love that, that giant flea you can ride in your imagination in Morrowind. That's, I love yeah, that you don't get to actually see any yeah. riding happening. And since this is such a big topic, I mean, I'm just going to try to get our arms around it in a really broad way. I mean, I think that grounds us with the kind of the beginnings of the concept of a space alien. But I think it really became part of the conversations that we're used to with early popular media, like, of course, like War of the Worlds, yeah. the, the 1938 radio broadcast. But I, I, I think that's really where it started to... Yeah, where it really took off. And, of course, like, um, writing concurrently with H.G. Wells was Edgar Rice Burroughs in the early 19th uh -huh. century. And then, of course, by the time we get to radio, we are, like, well into the golden age of science fiction. Mm -hmm. And that's... That's and that sort of, aliens galore. Yes, and that dovetails with uh, the Cold War culture anyway, where, you know, we might be looking for something to save us or there's this mysterious threat or new weird technologies out there. I think the Cold War really played into that, that um, conversation also. And then uh, finally, the last the thing I, I had on my list was more recent popular media really put some legs under our fascination with aliens. Like in the 80s and 90s, you have to be thinking about uh, the X-Files and all the alien abduction story uh, Alien movies. abductions were a big thing yeah. in the 80s. And I guess... 1947 we... Roswell stuff starts to become a bigger uh, story that people are familiar with because of these, because of shows like the X-Files. You know, now everybody knows what you're talking about when you're talking about Roswell. Yeah, we should go to Roswell sometime. Yeah, I think we should. That sounds like like a kind of tourist destination that I feel like we we need to we need to do. We've done like Salem in the fall. <laughs> I heard you know. I heard Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top. This uh, is a great endorsement already. Continue <laughs> talking to uh, uh, Daryl from uh, Hall and Oates on on that VH1 show, Daryl's House. A fine conversation. Yeah, go on. he was talk he was talking about how they were playing some alien festival. So. Uh, you know, over in Texas. Oh, that's so. cute. I would love to go see ZZ Top at an yeah. alien festival. And he what says, am I like, doing with he my says, life? My wife's from Alabama, so I already know all about aliens. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Billy Gibbons. Oh, you rascal. So, uh, travel plans aside for later, when COVID is not a thing anymore, for the purposes of your list, like, okay, is there anything that's going to disqualify an alien from appearing on your list? Or, like, is there anything in particular that we can add to that for our list-making purposes? Well, I was thinking that I think technically you could argue that an extra-dimensional being is an alien, um, even though that's super theoretical. But for my list, I did not go that route because I feel like that's a different conversation. Okay, good, because I do feel that I probably excluded a bunch of things who were you know like who uh -huh. would have fallen into that category and i'm like i just don't even know if they count but they were not born on earth and they were intelligent yeah, but but i think it's a di they yeah. they represent something different agree they do represent something different because i feel like the element of them being almost like either an invader out of place or a wanderer out of place uh -huh. one of those two things but there has to be an element of them being culturally out of place mm -hmm. and also for the purposes of my list um, 
It's only an alien if they are alien to the place where the story takes place. Oh, that's great. Because if you're chilling out in your lair in the Delta Quadrant, I'm sorry, you are not an alien. Yeah. You just live there. That's yeah, your house. you're just on the promenade. Same thing with Star Wars, just like we talked about with Spacemen. They're just living out there. You're only an alien if you're an alien in a or, certain context. Oh, so for like um, John Carter, when he goes to Mars... Um, he's, and those, he's the alien, not yeah. any of the Martians there. Like yes. Deja Thoris, not an alien. So yeah, for my for my purposes, yeah, you, you got to be out of place. Mm-hmm. That's I like how that. I thought about it. I like in, that in my list thematically. Okay. okay. Uh, okay real quick before we get into it, I want to give you a uh, a quick quiz because I think this is important to establish. So, do you believe there are even bacterial microscopic aliens? Uh, somewhere in the universe. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think so too. I think very likely under a frozen river on Europa or something. Yeah, there, there's somewhere. Okay. Do you believe there is intelligent, as we define intelligence, life? I feel that with all of the coin tosses out there, yes, somewhere. I think so somehow. too. There has to be, right? I even I even get more persuaded about um, other dimensions recently like i i've uh, other other realities and concurrent timeline stuff like i could get behind that i mean yeah and even if even if time is linear i think there's gotta be okay now if we're going on the list of like can we uh sign up for the crazy person newsletter here Here, here's the here's the last (laughs) question to see if you've made if you can be in the clubhouse do we believe the any earth government has found aliens and maybe, you know, like with all the recently declassified Pentagon videos and stuff, do you believe we have found evident, real evidence of aliens and we've just managed to keep it a secret? I want to believe, but no. Nobody can keep anything a secret. We're very bad at that. We have That's not. what I think. I agree with that. I think there's no way we'd be able to keep that a secret. I think there's a distant remote possibility that we are on someone's radar somewhere, somehow. But mm-hmm. I just, I don't, but I, yeah, no. They haven't been here. Despite what Unsolved Mysteries led me to believe when I was a child, which I thought alien abduction around every corner mm-hmm. is always, it was, it was going to happen to you. It's just a matter of when. And uh, Lindsay Buckingham says, that is well. <laughs> <laughs> How do you think he's so good at finger picking? I know. He's got alien thumbs. I know. All right. Would you like to start us off with your first pick? Number eight. Happiness reigned on a distant red planet. But one sad day, the Martians ran out of a cherished element they called Kubi. Four brave volunteers blasted off to search the galaxy. One special night, their Kubi meter locked onto a course straight for Earth. It was Halloween. My first alien landed in 1991, and it was never seen again because it is cultural garbage. Yay! I'm talking about the candy aliens from the 1991 CBS television special, The Last Halloween. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh my Lord. Did you learn about this? Because the last time I knew, this was just like a faint memory of your mind. Yes. You know how I love that kind of stuff. Did you you fill in the gaps? Please enlighten us about The Last Halloween. So this is already, it's ticking one of my boxes, Halloween, obviously, Uh and one of yours, Aliens, and Candy, also mine. Yeah. So It just lights up your brain. Yeah, lay it on me. Lay it on me. I wanted this one because it's strange even as far as aliens go. But this, like Rebecca's saying, is one of those things that I remember. And I also thought I might have invented it. I kept telling Rebecca about this TV movie that I remembered that I think was sponsored by M&Ms or were about M&Ms who were aliens. And they helped some kids finally get back to their home planet. I used to talk about this quite a bit. Uh, But anyway, I found out that it was a real thing. It was a movie called The Last Halloween. And it featured uh, this little group of aliens who crash landed on Earth. And before I get into the plot, which is super strange, I'm just going to give you the lowdown on the aliens because I think that'll help us understand what's happening. Okay. So this is about four aliens named Gleep, Romtu, Scooter, and Bing who are running low on a precious resource called Kubi. Their <laughs> Kubi meter is low. Can you guess what that is? Is it something we get in our bags as it a treat is candy. on Halloween? It is candy. And I know this happens to you. Your Kubi meter gets low and you have to get candy. So Once a week, I, I have to. You like that sticky candy. You like the... You like the I, like all the I like lots of candy. I like only 
uh, classy, very plain chocolate candies. I like like the like the meat of candies. You like all of them. I'm sorry you don't have a taste for garbage. <laughs> That's true. You, you didn't spend enough time in convenience you stores love, when you, you were You love gummy, I like sour. gummies, chewies, yeah. tangies. Just give me them all. Well, you might be from this planet because when their Kubi meter is low, they turn on their Kubi radar and find there's a bunch of candy that's going to be happening on Earth because it's Halloween, and they crash land there. I guess they crash land. I guess, you don't have to crash land if you're an alien. <laughs> right, so, I mean, you can, you you can, can just land, land carefully. They land on Earth, <laughs> and they find these kids whose dad runs a candy factory. But hang on, hang with me here. But it's in trouble because Rhea Perlman, who might be a witch, <laughs> is draining the water supply to find the secret of youth. Wait. She's not like a a business. She's not like a, no, a business. No, she's person? just she's running science experiments, and it is ruining the candy factory. Okay. And so, cut to aliens in the candy factory, and they get to go home. I I can't even explain more to you, but the the kids hang out with these aliens. Uh, I am leader of this Martian mission, Ramtu the Great, Your Highness. May I introduce Queen Scooter and Bing? I watched some of this movie. It is terrible. It it must have been the first use of CGI or something. It won, <laughs> Ever. It won a primetime Emmy, I think, for the special effects. Oh, wow. I couldn't understand a word the kids said. <laughs> they started chewing dialogue. They would get off the bus and they'd be like, I've got to say, the world of like readily available captions and yeah as, as, and i know it started with like closed captioning requirements which like sort of started around then but didn't really take off and uh-huh. then you didn't necessarily know about them oh my, how did we watch things not before? a word i no. i keep thinking about the scene i saw where they were getting off a school bus there's already noise in the background and then oh, they're, yes, I mean, yes I exactly my grandpa isn't positive the candy factory's closing i'll leave and so my dad says until he knows for sure, if I want to go trick-or-treating, I'm going to have to wear hand-me-down costumes. And then there's this mawkish dead mother storyline that has nothing to do with anything. What is mother? You don't know what mothers are? Your dead mother can be replaced with candy. <laughs> but it's a pretty fun artifact because it opens like all good 90s movies on some suburban street. And then the kids bump into the into the aliens on Halloween so they can blend in. You know, it's kind of cute. I gotta say, I love a movie that takes place on Halloween. Yeah. That's always the best. Uh, it, it was the 90s, so the costumes weren't that good. So I don't know how they didn't know they were aliens, but whatever. <laughs> but They probably just thought they were <laughs> Halloween <costumes. laughs> Probably so. Like, what are you dressed as? So I'll... Snorks. I'll put this one on the list for complete strangeness. I'll, I'll accept it. Number seven. Hey, your skin is hanging off your bones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is that better? All right, well, I'm going to piggyback off your 90s pick with my pick from the 90s. Okay. Which is Edgar the Bug, Men in Black, 1997. Oh, that's great. Now, in the first Men in Black film, uh, he is the farmer skin. He's the farmer who's doing a bad job of disguising the fact that he's actually a 12-foot roach. Uh Uh-huh. And he is, uh, you know, and of course, he's the main villain. He's intent on destroying the Earth and then also seizing a very important galaxy if you'll remember the plot and he's played with perfect creepiness by vincent d'onofrio yeah it's weird to remember that's him uh, so yeah yeah vincent vincent d'onofrio is just the guy you call when you want to do some really weird body acting yeah and with with a real weird demeanor i feel like i read an interview with him where he was talking about how they like scotch taped all his face features around his head to sort of pull the skin all kind of weird and everything. You can kind of see it now. It is interesting. Yeah, like I this this film, I think, did a lot of practical effects mm-hmm. at the time because it was right on the cusp of when CG could be... To its credit, good. I think. To its credit, absolutely. And in fact, when they had the big reveal of Edgar the Bug at the end when he sloughs off his suit... Um, it was originally written with them to interact with like a puppet that they uh-huh. had created, but then they decided that it was just like the climax wasn't 
big enough and they mm-hmm. needed to rewrite the scene so that it had like a more of a battle feel to it. And so that's when they did turn to CG. But for a lot of effects in that film, they were practical effects. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, like I, I feel like it holds up really, really well. I do too. It's a really good movie. It is a really good movie. And I when we are nostalgic for the 90s, I feel like that's just not part of it because it doesn't fit in with that very uh, disaffected, cool 90s feeling that we all had yeah. but it really was i mean i just think back what a golden era it was when they could tap will smith and be like can you star in this movie do a great job and also write a hit song for it yes yes <laughs> can, can you hand our marketing department a yes. massive win please and he could and he did and then two years later they were like okay it's called wild wild west and he's like i'll try yes and it and was not but anyway but men in black did we get did we get the idea to have the uh theme song tie-in be a hit from adam's family was that the first time that really took off like that was there a time before then hmm was that was that a commercial release though the monsters see and that wasn't a commercial release either for the theme song i don't know yeah now I can't pinpoint but, but it. But you're right. But it was it, but it was excellent and it was amazing time. I mean, I could have put literally any alien from that film mm-hmm. on this list, but if you know, in the spirit of trying to represent each of the decades and do it well, I just I wanted a really fun pick. So Edgar, it's your hour. I love it, yeah. Number six. Okay, I'm going to go from fun to the other type of alien. Remember when I said I might want to be abducted by aliens, but it depends on the aliens? Yes. Okay, this is the scenario that I'm worried about. Okay. I'm talking about the aliens from the movie VHS 2, specifically the short film called Slumber Party Alien Abduction. Wow. I, I... Remember we watched that on like a vacation. Okay, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I think I think you'll remember. Well, it stuck with me. It scared (laughs) me. Clearly, it did. Of course, then again, for a while, Will was very terrified by the film Ghost Ship. So I don't know. Oh yeah. (laughs) I'm not even. Well, we were at a at the beach. So. Well, the beach is not haunted, Will. Well. (laughs) Not that one. Not at that time. Nautical decorations. (laughs) Like, can you imagine I love how in lore like maybe there's like a spot where a ghost appear, appears at the end of the pier or whatever but there's not like a haunted beach anywhere in I don't know <laughs> they were like and the ghosts they had a surfboard and they're like ooh gross crabs <laughs> and you hear like some faint surf music <laughs> like you know in the, but it's ghostly this sounds great. Where's the haunted beach? I want to go to it. Okay, I'm sorry. Well, not the beach, but you know how we were also talking about how if you lived on a farm or in the woods, especially during an era where X-Files was a big deal on the TV, or maybe you saw fire in the sky, you were at least low-key worried about an alien abduction. You get ready for bed, and you turn off the lights, and you hear, at least I did, you'd hear planes or helicopters, and you'd be thinking, UFO or a regular helicopter? You know, there's a chance. Yeah, yeah. Always. So in VHS, the movie, uh, too, they're making videos at a lake house and they start getting abducted in their sleeping bags and dragged to the water. And the aliens later trick them with lights that look like police lights. And so they come outside and it's just a horrible. How did the aliens know what police lights were? They've been Lindsey Buckingham. (laughs) Tell them about it. The main thing I remember is the textbook Grayling character design that okay. they had for the aliens. It's kind of ringing a bell. And the blaring uh, sound effects, like when they when they would show up and go, Wah! and I like, Oh, that's it was, upsetting. It was horrible. It looked like something that was taken directly from a bad dream and turned into a movie. It was just perfect. I think I do remember that now that you say it. Well, that was they, good. They were like playing in the in the lake, and there was like an alien body in the lake at the beginning and everything. But like I say, the, the reason I really like this one is because they, they really nailed the Graylings. And I don't want to pick on an alien type, but if we're nervous about aliens, it's the Graylings, right? That's the one we're worried about. 
Well, yeah, because they kind of look like us, but then they don't. And then what that's, do they want from us? That's exactly right. I, so funny you say that because in all the reading or stories I've heard about graylings, the best explanation I've heard for them is that they're us, they're humans from the future who have evolved into this state. Like they, isn't that Ew. gross? Like they live in darkness like the sun's darker or whatever. And so they have these large dark eyes to take in more light and they have less need for uh, physical strength and leverage because they just don't live in that kind of culture. And they need us for something freaky diggy. I don't know. Ooh, yeah. Like to harvest some weird DNA that they don't have anymore. Ex exactly. Oh. The really good story about uh, graylings and like the first like quote unquote like legit story about it was the uh, Barney and Betty Hill abductions if you want to read about that it's fascinating like Betty went under hypnosis and she produced a star map and her aliens she called the Zeta Reticulans because she said that's where they're from and they were like famously an interracial couple in the 60s too and so there's all these interesting like civil rights uh, overtones in the story and everything it's, it's fascinating that is fascinating. It's I, a, you know what? I wonder if someone has done like a good book on that. I think there have has been. We gotta we gotta look that up. We gotta find a good. Yeah, a it good looked book really interesting. But you know, if you're gonna get abducted, you want it done right. Like I would not want to be abducted by like monster aliens. Like if I'm gonna get abducted by aliens, it better be Graylings. That's the real thing. It better be Graylings, and it can't be like an alien that just looks like a person either, because that would be like yes, a ripoff. You'd be like, exactly. I was told there'd be aliens, and they're like, we are aliens. Ha ha ha! Look at my vest, and you're like, that's <laughs> not alien. You're you're talking about Star Trek, right? Well, yeah, and yeah. Lindsay Buckingham. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's a vest alien. Very well. On behalf of the people of the 12 colonies, I surrender. All right, at number five, I give you everyone on New Caprica, Battlestar Galactica. Oh, okay. Oh. I think about New Caprica Twist. a lot. I do too, and we'll talk about why here in just a moment, okay? <laughs> so... This is a great story where it's, it's okay. Let me let me be clear. Battlestar Galactica was never a great story, although Ronald Moore, being the showrunner, I think did have lots of good ideas. It was really good. Well, it was really good. It was a really okay. The story was good. The execution in a lot of places was very soap yes. opera, which is just the style. It but was I'm the just, it know, was the Aldi's Game of Thrones it was, issue. The in, they did not stick the landing, but the yes. rest of the story was fantastic there's lots of poochy characters there's lots of i mean there's lots there's lots of cheese about it but I, i'm like the story itself yeah, the main was very story solid. was very good yes it, you know this is ron moore who has done show running for a lot of excellent sci-fi series anyway let me i'll just start by saying battlestar galactica is not good i would not be like what a <laughs> great story but at the same time it is great and i yeah. do and i do have fond memories of it so this particular example it's talking about what an uneasy feeling it must be to be lost from your ancestral home, right? And if you don't know the basic plot of Battlestar Galactica, I'm, of course, talking about, like, the 2004 reboot. It's about uh, human ancestors who were getting chased off their planet by a bunch of robots called the Cylons, who then pursue the humans all over the place trying to exterminate them. And the humans travel in a ragtag fleet of ships, and then they send jump coordinates to each other whenever the Cylons sh show up. So they've just got all these coordinate systems that they keep to where they can always just jump and flee the Cylons at the same time in their ragtag fleet. I like how they sort of lean into the hard sci-fi like that. And I like how they used to do that thing like um, old ship captains used to where at certain intervals they do the... Um, report of how many souls they have aboard oh, yeah, the ships. Oh yeah, I love that. that was I cool. did I did really like it that. It helped you understand what kind of situation they were in. Yeah, and and the number that they had was always like somewhere in the 30,000s or so. Uh -huh. It was like, you know, it was not a huge number, but it was also not a tiny number either. I really did like the device actually. That I really did like that about the show. So in this season of the show, our people have found a very cruddy yet very habitable planet mm -hmm. in a dense nebula that can't be penetrated by Cylon radars, so we think. 
And so half of the people in the ships are like, dude, we should totally like build a colony there and we're going to call New Caprica. And then other people were like, maybe that's not a great idea because the Cylons will pursue us relentlessly across space and time. Who, who was right? Who knows? You should watch it and find out. But um, it turns out to be terrible for many reasons. They shot the whole season with this really hilarious, like, blue-gray filter. Uh -huh. So it just looked like the most depressing place you've ever <laughs> seen before. The season also brought us a lot of gems like Colonel Ty's eye patch. Yeah. And out-of-shape Apollo yeah. up in the ships for reasons. And I don't know, there's not even really anything else to say about this except for I do have very fond memories of watching Battlestar Galactica. It's probably on your mind because of the diet we're doing right now. Because one of the reasons they wanted to leave the planet is because the only thing they could eat was like the real boring kale-like crop they could eat. And you're yeah, probably just thinking of that because of how much we have to cram spinach into everything we make right now. Look, but then tomorrow I get candy. That's, so I guess that's true. It makes it all worthwhile, <laughs> just like on Battlestar Galactica. No, that did not happen. Although I do remember whenever we would watch it with our friends at the time, because that was fun when we had friends and they would like come over and, or we would go to their houses and whatever we would bring to eat, we would always call it Galacta something. Galacta so, eggs, Galacta cookies. Galacta cookies. We'd all, like, we'd bring Galacta cookies. I mean, yeah. like, we were being stupid. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not <laughs> laboring under the delusion that that was hilarious, but it's making me laugh. Galacta. <laughs> we called each other the Galacta friends. But anyway, no, I... Uh, I don't think I'm ever going to really do like a full rewatch of this Battlestar Galactica, but if you've not seen it before and you find it streaming, give it a whirl. Like it's, it's very soap opera-ish at times, but I, I think it had a lot of fun parts. And this is just a good pick to show sort of the, the uncanniness of being an alien in a place that's not familiar to you. Like when you're the alien and you don't belong mm -hmm. anywhere. So that's an important theme. You are doing a good job of picking aliens that represent stuff. I think I went into it like a child pick, like, what aliens do I like? <laughs> the difference is you just happen to like a lot of aliens. I guess so. And I appreciate just, aliens. They're like my friends, and they'll be sad if I don't mention them. So, that, <laughs> so I, I, you know, maybe I'll figure out what they represent as I go. Uh, uh, teacher, can I do this over? Number four. I have spent many hours of my life with two aliens in particular from the planet Funkatron. <laughs> yes. I'm talking about my buds, Toe Jam and Earl, who first appeared in the Sega Genesis video game of the same name. When we think of the Genesis, we think of Sonic the Hedgehog, but Toe Jam and Earl were almost the mascot that launched the system. Really? According to Sam Pettis, author of Service Games, The Rise and Fall of Sega, the Sega team thought they were really cool, but the president of Sega at the time thought they were a little too American and a little too laid back, and they wanted something broader, which you can see. And so they became like a second-tier mascot for, for the system. Yeah, I do, I do feel that that was probably a good rationale. That, that, I think that does make sense. I'm sure, I'm sure Sonic would, would catch on a little earlier. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about Toe Jam and Earl for people who were not just firmly uh, children of the 90s like we were, but maybe maybe it's easier, more relatable for somebody who's not best friends with them. Would you like to talk about Toe Jam and Earl? I'm not really sure that I, I mean, like, I okay, so I didn't have a Sega Genesis. My friend did, and we were this playing. This is so rude to me. I keep like, tell me about a video games you never got to play. I know. Well, yeah, because uh, my friend had a Sega Genesis, but she was really into Mickey Mouse Castle of Illusion. That was a good one, too. It was a good game, and so my that's what I can tell you about Toe Jam and Earl. Okay. Is that Mickey Mouse swam in a teacup. It was really that cool. That was a good game. I do remember that. That was a good game. So Toe Jam and Earl. And the sugar cubes could hurt you somehow. I don't remember. I should look it up. They're and you bounced. They're you, bad for you. You bounced on Jello. Good game. Anyway. There was a Barbie video game that was terrible where you jumped on Sundays. It was terrible. On ice cream Sundays. Yes. <laughs> I mean, like, she jumps <laughs> on, on Sundays <laughs> is my jumping day. <laughs> Barbie, are you an alien? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's why I moved my Sundays arms. are for jumping. <laughs> I go in my dream house and I jump with Ken. <laughs> All right, anyway. Why don't you tell us, so I know that they're kind of like hip-hop style. That's exactly right, yeah. yeah. They're, they're hip-hop aliens. Mm. Toe Jam is 
red with three feet with sneakers on them and two eye stalks and like a necklace kind of thing. And they're definitely must have been thinking of Flavor Flav. Um, Earl is bigger and yellow with sunglasses and little antennae. And maybe it's like a Bismarcky kind of thing. Okay. I think they were thinking. Uh, it basically is like a big guy and a little guy. And so the premise is these two aliens from the planet Funkatron a hip-hop planet, are cruising around in their ship, and it's got, like, this really cool boom box on it and everything, and then it crash lands, actually crash lands. <laughs> this time. On a strange planet called Earth. And in the game, you search different tiers of randomly generated islands for pieces of your missing ship. And it's got a really cool music with this excellent bass line. It might even be, like, a fretless bass. I can't remember. But it's fantastic music. <laughs> But the neat thing about this game is that it's uh, a satire of Earth. And so all the enemies you encounter are a satire of strange types of Earthlings. There's like crazy people with shopping carts. There's a nerd herd. There's Santa Claus, which is a weird idea. How do you explain that to aliens? <laughs> and you want to avoid most of these people while you explore the map to find pieces of your ship. Okay. That sounds like fun gameplay. It is really it is really interesting. It's fun to think about the types of um, Earth phenomena that would be hard to explain to an alien. Do you remember a few Olympics ago when we were um, trying to explain to some of our um, the other countries about what cheerleaders were? Because we had cheerleaders in the opening ceremonies. That's also a very American weird idea. That is kind of funny. Yeah, that does seem strange when you just see it out of context. It's like, and what are they doing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this video game um, was very different than a lot of other games at the time. I think it was based on like that game called Rogue. You hear games called like a roguelike game. It's sort of like a Diablo three-fourths overview kind of thing. Um, I want to say it was for smart kids, a smart kids game, but it lasts forever and there is no save on it. And so this is definitely one of the ones you had to leave on overnight with the TV <laughs> off. A friend and I beat it in middle school finally because he had a game genie and then his parents uh, basically wanted a free babysitter while they went on like a week long vacation. So they pretty much put us in like um, a beach house with the sega genesis for a week and nobody they like basically slid a tray of food under the door while we played toe jam and earl for like a solid week that's kind of hilarious that it worked it other it kids did. would have gotten into trouble but like nah yeah i can remember getting in trouble unsupervised at hotels and stuff when i was a kid but not not there. We were mostly bored, and we would get crappy with each other. But we had a mission. We had to find all these ship pieces. <laughs> and then I will tell you, at the end of the game, you get to go to Planet Funkatron. Like, one of the little island tiers is, is on Funkatron. You get to see all, the, all their family members and stuff who look just like them. Oh, that's hilarious. It's really cute. But then we were like, but we don't want to turn it off. This is our reward. And so we just, like, yeah, wandered around the island forever. You like, just want to live on Funkatron. Yeah, I don't want to turn it off. To. Then we have to find the ship again. So. Oh, that's sad. Funkatron <laughs> goes away. <laughs> they, they did make sequels to the game. In fact, they just did a new release on like all the console stores. The original team made a new Toe Jam and Earl game that you can play and be all the family members. It looked pretty fun. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> Don't make Funkatron go away. I want a uh, Toe Jam and Earl stuffed animal or something now, I've decided. Somebody I like, probably makes I really it. like Toe Jam. Number three. Okay, at number three, I had to do it. I had to pick him. Uh-huh. The one, the only, E.T., the yeah. extraterrestrial. Yeah. You didn't, pick, you didn't pick him, did no, you? No, I had him on my honorable mentions. Okay, good. Well, good then. I just, but I. There's but, others like him. Yes. But he needs to be talked about because he was kind of like the biggest one for people around our age. Yeah. Right? It is is a film that made an indelible impression on young minds of the 80s, but not for the reasons you would think. And it's not for the reasons of, 
It's a boy and it's a little red hoodie in his bike basket and they soar majestically across the sky and you can see a silhouette against the moon. It's so magical. Listen to the score swelling. Or the alien likes Reese's Pieces. That's cute. No. This is a traumatic movie that children should not watch <laughs> because scary. it is a film about empathy and trauma that is maybe a little, I mean, it's actually beautifully done yeah. so that children can understand it. But it's like, if you're a sensitive kid and you think too hard about it, I don't know, man. He's E.T. And, and the aliens themselves are pretty scary. They had to dial them down a little bit. They were oh, that's true. They're pretty freaky, especially when he does the yeah, like and his shipmates or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're much more elongated and uh-huh. everything. Like they don't look as huggable as as little uh-huh. old ET does. I do have an ET stuffed animal. You do have an ET. Yeah. So um, if if you're a little bit younger and you know you didn't uh, watch this film, this is a story about a little brown alien that comes to Earth, crash landed. Like, I believe he's like um. He's sort of like pinkish too, like it's sort of yeah, a little pinkish brown yeah. mauve. Yeah, he's a little little mauve guy, um, and he's taken in by a little boy named Elliot and his siblings, and the kids are very charming, and um, the family dynamic is really fun. So uh, E.T. the alien and the boy Elliot have a special bond. They develop a special bond, and they can sort of you know they can sort of have this uh, nice empathy with each other. They can communicate with each other, and they get to know each other. And then E.T.'s working on a mission to communicate with his people so he can get back because, like, you know, it can't really stay here on Earth. And he eventually gets sick. He falls ill due to Earth pathogens, uh-huh. basically. I, like, they, they actually don't do a really good job of explaining it. I had to Google, why was E.T. found in the riverbed? Yeah, they do. Yeah, Because that's not, the part that you remember. Yeah, he just got sick. But, yeah, it was basically just that. Like, he had successfully contacted his people, but just the environment of the Earth was just not good for his body. They don't explicitly, they don't explain that. Like, yeah. I had to look it up on a Wiki, Wikipedia article. Oh, God, if he would have went to, with Elliot to school for his classroom. <laughs> but um, because he and Elliot share the bond, of course, the boy also becomes, like, seriously ill. They both become severely ill. And the government steps in at this point, too, because we can't have aliens spreading possible alien germs yeah. everywhere. Um, but I mean, I think we all are remembering the scene of the one little E.T. sick, first of uh-huh. all, in Elliot's home before the astronauts freaking storm their home and like take them. And then like the sick little E.T. in the tented medical facility. It's, it like search your heart. You will like, yeah. it is upsetting. Like it's freaking gut wrenching, and of course, because it's one of those movies, it has a really like heartwarming ending, and it's really sweet. And E.T. gets go home and gets better, and that's all well and good. But this is like a real punch in the heart film when you think about it. Why in the world was it marketed <laughs> as this special sweet little thing for kids? Um, E.T. the film, when you think about it, really, really at a basic level, is a commentary on human vulnerability. Because when you stop seeing someone as an other, and then you see them for the ways that they're like you, then when they hurt, you hurt. Mm-hmm. Why'd you come <laughs> me up like that, E.T.? I can't, like, well, come on now. You know what I mean? Well, you know, newer releases of it, they replaced a lot of the uh, military guys uh, who were holding rifles and stuff with like walkie-talkies. Like instead of holding guns, now you'll see they have walkie-talkies. They did like a Lucas thing, uh, George Lucas thing on them, which I think changes some of the messaging there. I, I don't know. I feel like it was like saying something about like threat of authority and that kind of thing too. Like I'm, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that change. Yeah, I'm not sure that I am either. And because, then- it, you know, your message about, you know, like um, engaging with aliens under the auspices of peace or something – it does sort of show the contrasting picture of our knee-jerk reaction might be to come at them with guns or something, and you need to see that. Yeah, and then when they freaking stormed into the house and E.T. is laying there in the closet, they, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it's it's the whole scene, whether or not they later remove rifles digitally, the whole scene is very much a scene of invasion, but it's not an alien invasion. Yeah. It's the invasion mm-hmm. of an of an authority. There you go. Yeah. That is maybe even well intentioned, but at the very least, not doing its job in the kindest way possible. God, I'm 
not going to get preachy. I'm not going to, but I, I mean, because I think it says it enough to mm-hmm. say to say that um, a, a film about children learning to encounter an other mm-hmm. with kindness is really, really good. But then also like you know, like still makes me cry now. And think about this more. <laughs> like now, now I'm saying you absolutely children should see it. Well, absolutely children should because see it. Because now, but now just... you can hear our, our value set too is we are definitely have an open heart for aliens. <laughs> but I actually feel now that some adults should watch yes, it. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. <sighs> he likes Reese's Pieces. <laughs> Number two, Brightness Reef takes us to this isolated colony where human beings, dolphins, chimps, have shown up knowing that they, their small group, will never go home again. They are the message in a bottle. They are the survivors. Their job is to survive in case humanity fails back home. Did you ever hide from an authority figure or are you currently in hiding from the authorities? No and yes. I used to hide from the scoutmasters and Boy Scouts because if they were calling you up, it was time to do some chores or build a table. And I did not <laughs> want to do that. Our table's going to have a lazy Susan. It's going to win the award. I was a teacher's pet. I never I never <laughs> hid from authority. Ah, I just did not. If I couldn't see the value in the chores, like, no. If I'm, I was being called before people, it was usually as a model of excellence. Like, <laughs> look how little old Rebecca did. She's doing good. And I'd be like, that's right. They would say, I need to stop talking. we know well hiding is exactly what my next aliens are doing i'm talking about the young aliens from the uplift novel series specifically brightness reef that's a that's a good i know nothing about this but that's a great i really like these guys i like these guys uh because they are actually alien you know how like if you ask a child to draw an alien you'll get the weirdest thing they can make with their imagination it's these guys but in the context of a very serious, very good, hard science fiction story. And like I did with some of the other ones, I'll start with the aliens because I think it makes it easier to understand the story. So I'll tell you about my favorite alien that I think is pretty illustrative of the rest of them. My favorite one is a female named Huck. She's a young Gakek. Gakeks are very weird to describe, but imagine two giant wheels with a magnetic axle and she's got two short pusher legs behind her to, to sort of move the wheels. And then she's got two arms with feathery hands and four eye stalks that she uses to emote. Like if all the eyes look at each other, she's being introspective. Oh, I wish I could do that with multiple <laughs> yes. eye stalks. It's pretty cool. We're missing out. <laughs> Think of all the emoting I could do if I had more eye stalks. And, and uh, you, could, you could do like really good like sarcasm and shade. Oh, yeah, because you, yeah, you like look at each other sarcastically, right? Because yes. it'd be like... Like they get, get real a, big, like, oh, that's real interesting. Yeah, get a load of that guy. Yeah. Like, like look into each other, like to confirm, <laughs> like, is this guy a fool or what? You just want somebody, even yourself, to agree with you in the things you're saying. <laughs> yeah, my eyes would always agree with each other. <laughs> so I told you this was about hiding. It's about this planet called Jijo, And the galactic authorities say no one can settle there because the planet needs a chance to naturally evolve some life. But eight different races secretly sneak some colony ships in there so they can plant some survivors in case their race goes extinct on their home planets because there's always war and stuff. And the humans are among them, and they all want uh, the modern amenities they've had on their home planets, so they have to be creative about how to not um, alert the authorities and um, scanners while also not interfering with the native life there. But the reason I really love the story is because it's actually really grounded in a strange way. Um, it focuses a lot on the young aliens, and it's kind of like Stand By Me, but with crazy oh, aliens. Oh, that's the elevator pitch right there. Yeah, it's yeah. cool. They have like a summer project to build a submarine, and they use it to go in this deep underwater trench to recover something from the original colony ships and uh, that were initially sunk on purpose and hidden and they use their different alien physiologies and um, brain types to work together um, as kids and stuff Um, and I picked this one because I kind of I want to believe these are the aliens that are out there Um, and 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 because I just love the uplift series it was written by David Brin who's like a very celebrated space guy. He's got all the space degrees and he worked for NASA on their boards and stuff. And he's just a cool guy. (laughs) He's got the space degrees. (laughs) 
I want, I want a space. I don't want a space. But yeah, so recommended reading then. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really cool one. And I think Brightness Reef is probably a hard one to start with. It's in the middle of the series, but that's the one I started with. You can start at the beginning of the series, and it probably makes a lot more sense. Did you, have you read the ones at the beginning of the series? I read one earlier. Um, okay. So what? Uh, so you can start from anywhere technically, but kind maybe, of. But yeah. Like this one's the first all, one, it's probably not an example where the first books like aren't good. Yeah, it's called the Uplift series. So they're about like some patron races that are quickly evolving certain types of other alien beings and the repercussions of that. And so it's it's pretty weird. Okay, everybody, put a hold on your library list right now. <laughs> Do it. Yeah, any David Brin stuff. I just love the way he writes. It's really good. Well, before we name our top alien, we feel compelled to list some honorable mentions. Honorable mentions. I think I'm going to start with the neutrinos, uh, who were the like rockabilly aliens from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, <laughs> I spared us another Ninja Turtles pick on the formal <laughs> list, but I love these guys. And technically, they were extra dimensional, so that's why they didn't okay, formally make yeah, the list. Okay, yeah, it doesn't quite, doesn't quite. Yeah, so it. I won't go into great detail about them, Daddy-O, but I love them. <laughs> I'll also mention the uh, dragon aliens from uh, the, the newer Elizabeth Bear book, Ancestral Night, because they actually live in space. And I love the ideas of aliens whose actual breathable atmosphere they prefer is actually the void of space. I think that's so cool to have organic uh, things living in space. That's cool. Okay, you're about one second from naming a real alien. <laughs> no. Can he do it? Can he do no. it? Um, and then I would say the aliens from Sequest. Okay, <laughs> all right. Who were, who were hiding under the ocean. And kind of look like the Borg Queen. Now that's that's really though that that's some good OG sci-fi trope. Yeah, right I there. was almost going to pick them, but um, it was hard to uh, find a lot of material about it, and it was mostly just that they existed was pretty cool. And then last on my list are the aliens from Cocoon <laughs> that helped all the old people in the swimming pool get young again. Okay, to that I would add Martian Manhunter. Oh yeah. I, yeah. my, he's my I was, was going to pick him, but I didn't pick him because I thought you would pick oh, him. Oh, funny. That's no, fine. I, I don't know why it didn't occur to me, but yeah, he's my fa he might be my favorite superhero. I love Martian Manhunter. And then I also had the prawns from District 9. Um, oh, just that, I love that's, those guys. I know, there's too many. There's too, well, we're going to have to do more alien episodes yeah. later. And then I just decided. I had to pick my close friends. I know. My close friend aliens. But, Your stuffed animals. I yeah, got gotcha. you. Yeah, but God, I, I love District 9. Yeah. It's so good. Well, yeah, a great, a great story. And then I thought also just briefly in the in the tradition of being an alien creature because District Nine made me think of the Ant Word. I would I would add Yolandi Bisser from the Ant Word. No, because seriously, like I love performers who have an alien persona. Mm -hmm. She totally does. Like I would believe she's an it's alien. So much so that when they made Chappie, that was the aesthetic of the film. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that that was where my mind went. It was that's all so those cool. films all together. But anyway, yeah, that's. That, that's it for me. There's tons more. Okay. Too I'm, many I'm gonna good aliens. I'm going to throw in one for both of us, Kang and Kodos. We love them. Well, yeah, obviously, okay. right? God, there's too, there's too many to mention. Yes. If we didn't mention somebody, you know, it's just because there's... Twirling some... toward freedom. <laughs> I, I quote twirling toward freedom all the time. <laughs> love it. Okay, so who's your number one alien of all time? Number one. All right, our number one alien. Da, 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 da. I pick Superman. The rocket ship sped through stars on its face, landing safely on Earth with its precious burden, Krypton's sole survivor. A passing motorist found the uninjured child and took it to an orphanage. As the years went by and the child grew to maturity, he found himself possessed of amazing physical powers. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. All right. He's the, he's, he's he's the alien. I'm going to tell you all why now. All right. We've had many fine aliens on this list, right? This is the character that I always really want to root for. Uh -huh. Now, everyone, these days, it's real easy to dunk on the USA because of various reasons, and deservedly so. Uh -huh. <laughs> 
Uh, it is a very amplified country. And don't I don't know if you've ever played Minecraft, but like when you pick the amplified world in the world generator and it makes like the cliffs 10 times bigger and the mountains real high and the precipice is very, very deadly. And it's very hard to live in an amplified world. Uh-huh. But, you know, it's got its perks, right? I mean, it's it's interesting, to say the least. That's just what I always think of. Yeah, we, we have a cowboy hat hanging off of our country. Yes. <laughs> and obviously, a lot of heartbreak in the, in the past, yes. obviously, um, and present. Uh, but a lot of things to be inspired by. Uh-huh. And at the end of the day, we tell some good stories. Uh-huh. Right? Okay, so that's, that, there's, my little, there's my little rah-rah for the USA. Put it plainly, I would say that the story of Superman is a story that can always, like, instir something in me. You know what I mean? So his creation story, if you're unfamiliar, Superman the character was created by a couple of teenagers in Cleveland. And this is Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, both of whom were the son of Russian Jewish immigrants who had fled the pogroms in, like, early 1900s um, in, in Russia. And um, Superman as a character, there's, like, nothing special about him right because he's really derivative i say special but there was nothing special about him in his is in his inception because he was just very derivative of all those kinds of stories that were going on in all the sci-fi pulp magazines and all the comic books and everything that were already really really vital and thriving there so it's not like superman himself was such an amazing creation so much as he was just kind of like the sum of some interesting parts and um if you read the book and i recommend that you do about Jerry Siegel and Joe, Joe Schuster. There's a bio by them called Superboys, and the author's name is Brad Rica, R-I-C-C-A. Um, if, if, you recommend, if you read that, and I really recommend that you do, you'll also see that he makes a really good case for there being like inspiration for Superman in, say, um, Jesse, Owens's appearance, Jesse Owens's appearance at the 1936 Olympics in Berlin, you know, where he just like kicked in front of Hitler and mm-hmm. like stuff like mm-hmm. that. Like the, the idea of this, like a superhuman being really sort of a part of the popular imagination during that time. This amazing stranger from the planet Krypton, the man of steel, Superman. So when we synthesize these disparate parts into something greater than the sum of its parts, that is basically what creativity is. And um, you don't know what really makes something ignite in the popular imagination. Like, we can't crack that formula. But for whatever reason, Superman did that for a whole generation of kids. Uh You know, Superman was it. He was the guy. And um, they've managed to keep it alive for a few more generations now. Uh, And maybe, hopefully, within our lifetime, we'll see another good iteration of the Superman story. Because right now, the clinical handsomeness of Henry Cavill is just, like, not doing it for (laughs) me. Can we just say? What? But um, let's not ever forget that Superman is, besides being an orphan, is an immigrant. And uh, I don't know. That's something that I think is really important in the story as an American tale. Let's not let's not forget how important um, when we talk about all of our rugged individualism, being a person out of place or out of time can be used to, I don't know, to elevate and uplift everyone in the popular imagination, I guess. That reminds me of the conversation we were having about uh, spacemen earlier and yeah. And, uh, uh, and and also a little bit about uh, robots and and why I like some of those stories too because uh, it's really inspiring when there's um, somebody from the outside embraces like a value set in a way that's super meaningful to them and he doesn't take those things for granted that we do exactly um, and there's a real sweetness to it too like even with within everything else all the other themes like there's something very unique about that and I think it's something that we should celebrate. And when we're encountering aliens, be they from Krypton or anywhere else, I just feel like uh, we should do so with a spirit of open heartedness and like what, you know, what can all of us gain by this encounter? Okay, well, we talked about aliens we would want to meet, aliens we would not want to meet. And <laughs> aliens that made us cry. Yes, we, we, <laughs> we talked about what we can learn from aliens and also how 
realistic it is to imagine that there may actually be aliens and who needs to be reading stories about aliens. Ooh, there's a real big bug crawling on the window behind you. Isn't oh, it? he is very large. Is he an alien? He definitely has meat. <laughs> there is definitely stew in that alien. <laughs> before before an hour show, I feel like we really did get our arms around it, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, again, we, we may break this up like we said later. Yeah, I think so, too. I, I could think of a million more now that we're talking about them, actually. And there are millions. I mean, we haven't even, we barely even touched anything in science fiction, period, mm -hmm. like... It's fine. We'll get there. But and a broad overview of aliens. Ting. This would be a good episode for somebody to send us their own suggestions or uh, comments about aliens. Your favorite stuffed animals. Yes. At rumors at thewizardsnightshirt.com or talk to us on social media. And we might share some of your thoughts on the next episode. Rebecca, where can people follow us? You can find us on Twitter or Instagram or visit thewizardsnightshirt.com for this show and our uh, Motu review show and Curdle Holler, our original Halloween comedy audio series. Or join me on my weekly stream Wednesdays at 3.30 Eastern Standard Time at twitch.tv slash K-E-E-N-G-A-R-R-I-T-Y where I learn and grow with audio production. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week when we call forth new champions. The legends they tell of a hero Racing down fears and cutting down foes There's no resemblance to what you know When your own deeds feel humble